As many of you know, I'm a Steelers fan, and I've been a Steelers fan for a very long time. And back in the day, there was a quarterback, you maybe see him on the NFL show today, but his name was Terry Bradshaw, and he won four Super Bowls. And in his last season as the quarterback of the Steelers, he missed the first 14 games. And it was in his final game against the New York Jets that Terry Bradshaw went to the huddle one last time. And if you know anything about the Steelers back in their glory days when they were winning the Super Bowl, they were a run-first offense. They had Franco Harris, they had Rocky Blyer, and they loved to run the ball. They had a big offensive line. Yes, they had some great wide receivers, but they were known for running. And by that time, Lynn Swan and John Stallworth were no longer on the team And Terry Bradshaw had had arm problems because he had thrown out his arm. And he went in the huddle, and he called a pass play. And the offensive line looked at him and said, Terry, this is not what the coach is calling. We're going to run today. We're running the ball. And Terry Bradshaw looked at the people in the huddle, and he said, I'm not a mailman. I'm a gunslinger. And he went out throwing And he rejected the coach's calls to run the ball. He went out throwing. He threw his arm out in the second quarter. And he ended his career with two more touchdowns than interceptions. Because he decided he was going to be a gunslinger. So you may be asking, Mark, what does this have to do with us and the message? Well... I'm not Terry Bradshaw, but I'm getting down on giving my last huddles in place. And if you know anything about me, and maybe you don't know anything about me, but I'm not a mailman. I'm not going to mail it in for you today. I am a gun slinger. I don't know what that means, but for me it means I preach the Word of God with clarity and conviction. And today... We're going to dig deep into what I think is one of the most powerful transitions, more powerful than I believe when when Moses gave the baton to Joshua. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul and him passing the baton to the elders in the church in Ephesus. When I was a kid, I'm embarrassed to say this, but we drank a lot of milk in our household. And when I ran out of milk in my household, and again, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, I used to go like this. Does anybody know what that meant when I would go like this? It meant, Mom, Dad, get me the milk because I need my cup filled up. Now, that may be all right if I'm three. But eventually there comes a time, and it took a while before I no longer did this anymore. And sadly, too many of us as Christians, we go like this all the time to God. We come to church and we say, Pastor. We come to church and we say, Leaders, fill my cup. There comes a time, though, when we got to put our cup aside. 
And we need to understand that we don't slam our cup on the ground, but rather we learn what it means to give versus always receive. Today, I want to talk about who we are and who do we want to be known for. And I just want to start from the perspective of who we are. I got two sides here. On the one side is what we can get, being blessed, the money, limited perspective, operate out of fear, focus on us, looking to be loved, and who can we keep. Is that who we are? Or are we on the other side that says what we can give, be a blessing, the ministry, unlimited perspective, operate out of faith, focus on them, looking to love, focus in on who we can reach versus who we can keep. You see, when it comes to being a body, we have an identity as believers, And we get a reputation, we get an understanding among our own people and among those outside in the community, who are we? And some of you may be questioning, you know, it's pretty easy to understand, are we more focused on what we can get or what we can give? The one line in there is in the middle that I think is very important, and I learned this a long time ago, and it has helped me as a fellow uh, follower of Jesus Christ. And it's how I view God and how I view resources and how I view my blessings. Either from a limited perspective or for an unlimited perspective. A limited perspective says I better hold on to what I can keep. You see it on the playground. You see it when young kids are playing. They take what is theirs the toy, the game, the opportunity to have fun, they take it and they hold on to it. Why? Because they view it sort of like with the slamming of the cup. They view it from a limited perspective rather than viewing it from an unlimited perspective that, yes, I'm having fun. Yes, this game works. Yes, there is a toy here. But there is more out there, and I don't have to view it from a limited perspective. I can view it from an unlimited perspective. Who are we as a church? Which side do we fall on? And yes, I know it's black and white. You may say on one day we're this way and another day we're that way. Maybe even a more important question is this. Who are you? Who are you this morning? Are you focused on what you can get or what you can give? Are you focused on bless me or how can I be a blessing to others? Are you focused in on The money and how much money you have or how you can do ministry and how you can bless others. Do you view, as you look at the home you live in, the car you drive, the perspective you have on the way God is working in your life, do you view it from a limited perspective or an unlimited perspective? And if we view it from a limited perspective, we're going to be tight We're going to be greedy. We're not going to be generous people. We're not going to be thankful people. We're going to be holding on to something that we never had the right or the freedom to hold on to before. So today we want to go counterculture. 
Because our culture today says, look out for number one. Focus on what you can get. Focus on what you're entitled to. Focus in on how you can make sure that you're protected. We're going to go counterculture today, and we're going to look at the side of Jesus. Well, what side was Jesus on? Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than what? Receive. The question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive? And this morning, even if you're looking at your program and you look on the back and it it talks about giving and how to give and why we give, I'm going to talk about this message this morning without really focusing in on finances because I don't know if Jesus, if he was saying here today that the reason I want you to give financially is because I said it was more blessed to give than to receive. I think what Jesus was saying, this is a lifestyle. This is an identity. This is a way we think about who we are and who God is and and how we should live our lives. So I want us this morning to look at Acts chapter 20. So again, if you have your Bible, hopefully maybe I said last week I wanted you all to bring your Bibles. Hopefully you brought your Bible today. Acts chapter 20, and we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and what he had to say to the church in Ephesus. Paul ministered in Ephesus for three years, but there was a burning desire by the Holy Spirit on his heart that he was to go to Jerusalem. And so he started off and he went to Macedonia, sort of around where Greece is today, and he went there on his way to Jerusalem. And as any good pastor or shepherd, his heart was still with the church in Ephesus. And I'm sure he started to hear back about things that were happening in the church in Ephesus. As you might recall, um, last week we talked about Timothy and 2 Timothy and 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4 and what it means that all scripture is God breathed and Paul challenged Timothy to preach the word. Well, Timothy was the pastor that was left behind in Ephesus to preach the word, to challenge the people, to rebuke the people, to help them to understand how to live. So in Acts 20 verse 17, we see something about Paul But we also see something about the elders, and we see something about the church at Ephesus. So verse 17, hopefully you're there, and hopefully you can stay focused on this, because again, I think it's a a powerful word of encouragement to any church in a transition. It says that Paul sent to Ephesus from where he was staying, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them. Now he called for the elders of the church. 
One of the things you will realize if you read the book of Acts, when Paul is speaking, he's usually speaking to the Jews and he's speaking to non-believers, trying to convince them of what it means to be a Christ follower. In this situation, which is rare and unique, it's very similar to some of his letters to like the Ephesians and Colossians and some of those letters that he wrote. What is unique here is he is speaking directly to the church and he's speaking directly to the elders. Now, if you wouldn't mind, if any of the current or former elders are here, would you please stand? Any current or former elders? Okay, I see a few of the men, and look around at these men. Here's what we're going to find out as we go through this passage. These men were considered, it was a Jewish culture to have elders, and they were considered the mature men, the wise men, the spiritually complete men who were dedicated to God and to God's people. You guys may be seated. Thank you. And we're going to see what the challenge is this morning that God placed on Paul's heart as he talked to the elders. And may I say one other thing about the elders. Again, in the Jewish terminology, it it represented not only maturity, but respect and honor and dignity. Why? Because these were God's chosen people. They weren't people voted on by the congregation. They were appointed by the Holy Spirit to serve the church. So you need to honor them, respect them, and pray for them. So notice what he says in verse 18. He says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Paul is not so much talking about his time there, but the example that he set for the church in Asia right away when he got there. Notice what he says. He said, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. It's sort of interesting. I underlined that word tears. We've joked around about myself, and I'm not one that usually cries outwardly or cries in public, but let me tell you, I have tears for you all. I hope that over the course of the years, you understand that my desire for you as a Christ follower and my desire for you as a church is that you will follow Jesus. That you will turn from whatever way may be considered wicked and follow the Lord with all your heart. That you will listen to the power of the Holy Spirit and you will allow God to direct you in your family life, in your personal life, where you work, where you live, where you serve, where you play where you enjoy one another, that God would be first in your life and that you would follow him. Notice what he says in verse 20. 
He says, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. It means he got so much in their their grill about what they were doing, and he spoke in a way that was encouraging and challenging and profitable. Now, you can go back and you can look in Acts 19, and when he was there, he was speaking about profitable things that, like, idolatry isn't what God wants from you. Sexual immorality, and the book of Ephesians talks about that. It's not good for your soul. It's not loving to be involved in sexual immorality. There's a way that we live our lives, he says in Ephesians, and we live it to please God, the one who richly rewards us. So he spoke in a way that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks, repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Paul, I want to be very clear this morning that when it comes to what matters in life, it's about your own personal repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The word repent literally means to change your mind, to change your attitude, to change your perspective. And unless you change, again, a word we don't like hearing in the church world, but unless we change, we can't be made right with God and right in the way that we live. And you can't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ unless you first change your mind. Change your mind about your sin. Change your mind about who Jesus Christ is. Change your mind about the perspective on what it means to be a Christ follower. And that you're not going to live for yourself, but you're going to live for the glory of God that is found in Jesus Christ. And Paul says... And we're going to see here in a little bit. He says, when it comes to the message that is communicated week in and week out, it focuses on repentance and faith. Verse 22. And he says, and now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Again, I look at guys like the Apostle Paul, and this is me personally, and I know not all pastors are this way, and I know not all Christians are this way, but I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. I've had some of you ask me, you know, Mark, well, what's next? Or where are you moving? You're going to a certain geographical location. That's not what I'm focused on. Are you going to another church? I'm not even really focused in on going to another church. I haven't even sent out a resume yet. All I'm trying to do is listen to the Holy Spirit and see what the Holy Spirit is saying to me. Why? Because I got this great idea? No, because I read Scripture, and this is the way the early church worked. The early church listened to the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit that matters and gives direction and insight. 
If you are personally asking the question, what is next? You need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. And in Paul's case, and sometimes I know it has been true in my case, it wasn't a very comfortable picture. Imprisonment and afflictions. But Paul would rather be doing what the Holy Spirit said to do than find personal comfort. Notice what he says in verse 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is it precious to myself. Again, he's not focused on himself. Notice what he's focused on. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. I know sometimes it gets confusing when the church world is trying to figure out how to call the next pastor. And like, oh, are you called to this church or this location? And I don't know what Paul would say to that answer. I know what perspective I have. But it seems like what he's saying is the calling is from the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, whether you're a pastor or not, as a Christ follower, each one of you has a calling that God has laid upon your life. And when Paul said, I have finished the course, I have finished the race, what is he talking about? He's talking about what God has spoken to him that he should do. Then notice this. He says to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. One of the things, again, that I hope you have heard from my time that I first came here in 2014 It is by God's grace. That's why I like a lot of the songs, even the songs we sang today. Everything is by God's grace. Our freedom is by God's grace. Our salvation is by God's grace. The fact that we're breathing today is by God's grace. The fact that we can study the word of God is by God's grace. And we're going to have a baptism today. And there's going to be kids that are getting baptized and individuals that are getting baptized. It's all by God's grace. It's not the baptism that is saving. It's the grace of God. You being here today isn't what saves you. It is the grace of God. God's grace is primary. And I think that's why Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith. Not of works, so no one can be boasting because it's by grace. Verse 25, and he says, Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. This is probably the hardest thing for Paul to say, and it's the hardest thing for me to say as a pastor. Because I know in a little while I will never see some of your faces ever again. And that is tough. But notice what Paul says. He says, therefore, there's a conclusion to transitions. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. Literally, you may say that sounds a little creepish. What's he talking about? He's saying he can go to bed at night and put his head on the pillow knowing that he did 
the work that God has given him. He says, For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What again is the whole counsel of God? I think it focuses in on the repentance and the faith that we need. Then he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You may be still asking the question, why did I have the elders stand? Because the elders, their job, their main job description is found right here in verse 28. Who's Paul talking to when he says, pay careful attention to your lives? He's talking to the elders. He's saying, make sure that your life is in a right relationship with God, that you're spiritually mature, that you know the scripture, that you are walking with the Lord. Make sure that that is happening. And for all the flock, which the Holy Spirit, again, it's not a vote that makes somebody an elder. It is the Holy Spirit at work that makes someone an elder. And an elder is what? It's an overseer. From this point forward, what is the traditional word for elder is literally overseer. When I was in California at our church, we didn't have elders. We had overseers. Well, what's an overseer? An overseer is sort of a guardian. It is a safeguard. It is a boundary. It is someone who protects the church. Well, what are they protecting from? Notice in verse 29, because I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul doesn't get specific. He just says that among the own... The church body, the church in Ephesus. There's going to arise some in the church body. We don't like to talk about this sometimes in, in the church world, not just here at Harrisonville Community Church. Pastors don't like to talk about this. Church, this is not like a conference you do and it sells out. Entitled Fierce Wolves, Watch Out. We, we don't promote this because it's not something that people like to talk about. But Paul is being very clear that fierce wolves are going to come in and they're going to twist things. And as I look at the culture, not just our church, I look at three things that get twisted. First, it gets twisted that we, we live our lives out of fear rather than faith. We make our decisions out of fear rather than faith. Rather than trusting in God to provide, we're fearful. I don't know where that message ever came from. But I know, and again, you can Google it, how many people are full of anxiety and worry and stress and they're fearful and fear does not produce the results of God. It's only by having faith in God and his direction. The other twisted truth that I see is that comfort is more important than character. Comfort 
feeling safe, feeling protected, feeling secure. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. He says, I know I'm going to imprisonment. I know I'm going to be facing affliction, but I'm going to do it because it's not about comfort. It's about conviction and being people of character and knowing what it means to be a Christ follower. The third twist I see is for settling. Settling for being good when I think God is calling us to be great. These are cultural things. They're not just Harrisonville community things. They're not just where we're at as a church. It's throughout our world. And I think that the truth that you're looking for and that I'm looking for and that we as a church need to embrace is faith and character. And desiring to be great, not because we want to say, hey, look at us. But because God expects great things. It is a fact, it was Jesus who said, when I send the Holy Spirit, you're going to do greater things. Never, never, ever settle for being good. And notice then what he says, to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, therefore, be alert. It means we've got to be awake. We can't be so busy, so tired, so confused that we can't see clearly. He says, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone. And here's that word again with tears. Paul admonished them to be different people. I've tried to admonish. I've tried to admonish against not changing. I've tried to admonish that we need to be serious about reaching the next generation for Christ. I've tried to admonish that the four streams are where we need to be engaged in groups. We need to get in the game and serve. We need to invite people to sit with me so that we can have an experience like Mike shared. And we need to give first, which is what the message is about today. He says in verse 32, which by the way, this is a blessing. This is like when I close a service, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. This is a blessing. He says, and now I bless you. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And so before Paul gives his challenge, he says, I wasn't greedy. I wasn't focused in on myself. I wasn't coveting what you had. I came to you because I wanted to give to you. Paul says, look at my life. And then in verse 35, he says, In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Again, I don't even know if Paul's even talking about money here. He's talking about an attitude. He's talking about a perspective. 
You see, again, the culture at that time is very similar to how we do Christmas. We exchange gifts. The culture at that time was if you received something from somebody, you gave back. But if you didn't receive something from somebody, you didn't give back. If you go to a Christmas exchange and didn't bring the $25 gift, people probably aren't going to give it to you because they're expecting a $25 gift back. What Paul is saying, what Paul is saying is that it is more blessed to give than to receive. There should never be the perspective that I give because I know I'm going to receive something back. He's saying give whether you're going to receive something back. Now what's interesting about this verse is there's no recording of this by Jesus. That meant that Paul understood the life and ministry of Jesus so well. He knew the disciples and he knew that this was a well Spoken saying. The closest thing is that when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, freely you have received, freely you give. And as we sing about freedom here, and one of the last songs we sang about was about freedom. When we sing about freedom, it's we have freely received from God. God has blessed us abundantly. Our perspective should be we need to freely give. I want to look at this by answering this question. What's next? What was next for the church in Ephesus? How were they to respond? And the choice is ours. I want to give you some different extremes here so you can think about this. You're sitting in one chair or on the other this morning, either as a consumer or as a contributor. The thing that is killing the church in America today is majority of people come to consume the church rather than contribute to the church. The thing that is killing so many families today is people in the family is looking what they can consume rather than what they can contribute to a family. I think we would all agree, isn't this what's destroying the United States of America today? What we can consume from our government rather than what we can contribute? Again, I think Paul, when he quotes Jesus, he would say, be a contributor. (laughs) It's more blessed to be a contributor than just a consumer. Here's another angle on it. Success or significance, or being significant. You may say, Mark, I thought you just said we need to be great. You know, success focuses in on a way different paradigm. Success focuses in on wealth and achievement and prestige. Significance has nothing to do with that. Significance has to deal with how we are generous and we serve and our relationships. You know, when I look back, when I leave a ministry, and I, I want to leave a ministry where I can look back and say, was it successful? Yes, that's important. But the more important question is, did significant things happen there? Was there service there? Was there, was there relationships there? Was there generosity there? 
You see, the church world has got this all backwards. We, we live in the success paradigm. We look at a, what they call the ABCs, attendance, building, and cash. And if all those things are going great, then wow, we're a successful church. And I think Jesus looks at his church, his bride, and he says, no, the ABCs are not about attendance, building, and cash. It's about attitude. It's about behavior. And it's about character. And when we get those right, we become a significant Christ follower, but we become a significant church. Here's the third picture. Are you sitting in the chair where you're greedy or you're generous? One of the best books I ever read was by the founder of Chick-fil-A. It's called The Generosity Factor. I would encourage everybody to pick up a copy. I don't know if it's still in print or not. I got one extra copy in my office. Um, It's so important. And he talks about in the generosity factor that we need to be generous with our time, with our talent, yes, with our treasure, but also with our touch. You see, greedy people, again, are saying, they got their hands out and saying, give, give, give. I'm entitled. I'm entitled to receive. What Truett Cathy was saying, no, it's not about that. It's about being generous. It's about who you are, not so much what you do. You see, from a ministry standpoint, and I understand this. In fact, Paul, when he was getting towards the end of his ministry in Corinth, and he was writing to the church in Corinth, he says, I'm going to wait to the end of my life because I don't even know what my motives are, whether my motives were pure or not. One of the first books I ever read on marriage was by Larry Crabb. It was called The Marriage Builder. And it says, true love is not found in manipulation. True love is found in ministry. And sometimes we confuse these in the church and we we manipulate rather than we minister. Generous people have figured out ministry versus manipulation. I want to share this slide. Last week we talked about the habit of Bible reading. And I said in order to have a habit of Bible reading, you first have to have a trigger. So you need to have the God's word out somewhere so it will trigger in your mind. Or you need to put on your app, I need to read God's word. Then there needs to be a a hunger for it. You need to make it attractive. And then there needs to be a response. And then there needs to be a reward. I said last week that I want to show you the big picture, how you can become a generous person. Now, if you are looking at this paradigm the way a lot of times I respond, and I've seen this, this is the way many Christians respond, and you take anything, let's just take Bible reading. I want to read my Bible. I want to read the whole Bible. I've never done that before, Old Testament to the New Testament. That is focused in on the outcome. And the reason a lot of times we don't follow through with our Bible reading is because we haven't understand we start on the inside out. And what needs to change is our identity. You see, when you view yourself as I want to be a Bible reader, that is my identity. If you go around and you tell people, I read the Bible, that is who I am, guess what? You're going to have a process and you're going to start having outcomes. 
Because you view yourself as a Bible reader who wants to hear God's voice. I've seen over and over again as it relates to giving, some people, they want to tithe. They've heard somewhere in the Bible that there's a tithe. They want to give 10%. And so they, they, they come and they say, I want to be a tither. I want to be a tither. Well, if you don't view yourself as an identity, as I am someone who tithes, guess what? The process is going to become complicated and you will not tithe. Here's what I want us to see, though. We can't, as I talked about generosity and being a generous person today, whether it's your time, talent, treasures, your touch, you can't focus on the outcome. you got to focus in on your identity, and you have to understand that the person I want to be is a generous person. The church we want to be is a generous church, and when we are a generous person and a generous church, guess what? The process and the outcomes will take care of themselves. It starts on the inside and moves out. If you're listening to me, you may be asking the question, what exactly are you talking about? Are you talking about giving or are you not talking about giving? And the answer is yes and no. You see, I believe when Jesus said it's more blessed to give, I think we could fill in any of these. It's more blessed to give encouragement. It's more blessed to give hope. It's more blessed to give love. It's more blessed to give advice. It's more blessed to pray for somebody. It is more of a blessing to be there for somebody who is hurting. All of those are are blessings. But in order for you to experience that blessing, and I think this is what Paul was saying, it's hidden in there, but he says it's going to require a sacrifice. His sacrifice began with Jesus Christ, who gave up his life, who for our sake became poor so that we could become rich. And I don't know what the sacrifice is. It may be sports. It may be a vacation home. It may be deer hunting season. It may be your your preference for worship or how church is done. It may be a new truck. It may be rest. It may be uncomfortable. I don't know what it is. I got my issues. You got your issues. We need to sacrifice somewhere, somehow, if we want to be generous people. And the last thing with a habit is there is a reward. And so you may ask, well, what is the reward? Well, I believe that the reward can be spiritual. It can be financial. It may be emotional. The reward may actually be relational. You may get a new friend by being generous to him. One thing I know is that the reward is always going to be eternal. And that's why Jesus, when he was challenging his people, he said, don't store up treasure here on earth, but store up treasure in heaven, because that is where your eternal reward awaits.